0: Welcome to the show, Off The Record. I'm Aram Mukhmukh, the host. Thanks for tuning in. On the show, I'm interviewing well-known CEOs and VCs about how to spend the money you raise effectively and what mistakes to avoid. Uh, The guests that I'm gonna have on the show have been in the trenches and have lots of practical advice to share, company stories, failures, and successes. So I'm really keen to um, get some of that insight from all all of our guests. Uh, As a founder, you'll hear what you can do better when raising money and after you have raised the money all in a 30-minute type uh, conversation. And if you happen to be a VC, uh, you're also in the right spot, as you'll learn from some of your peers who are going to be on the show as well. Uh, So this is episode number three, and I'm here with Mark Morissette. Uh, Quick bio on Mark. Mark is the CEO and founder of FoxQuilt, an insurance technology company based in um, Canada. Uh, Mark's career spans more than 15 years, uh, having participated in various leadership roles spanning from underwriting operations, sales and distribution for some of Canada's premier carriers and fintech organizations, including Aviva and Real Matters. So thank you, Mark. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for, uh, for giving us some time.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm uh, looking forward to sharing more with your audience and giving lots of insights and tidbits to raising, but more importantly, deploying capital, how best utilize
0: it. Awesome. So let's kind of jump into it. So Mark, when, when we had a chance to uh, chat before, you were telling me about how in your prior experience in the different companies you worked at, um, you, you went through the process of an IPO and like, you learned about how that's like and you know, what it looks like for you as a founder in those cases. Um, and then now you're, you're a founder of a new tech startup in Canada um, working on a really cool product that is quite disruptive in the insurance tech space. First question I have for you is over this last 15 years, you know, you've been speaking to a lot of founders and other tech CEOs throughout your journey. What do you wish that they asked you that they never do? You know, with all that knowledge that you have, it could be business, it could be personal, uh, but I'm just really curious to know, what are some of those questions that you wish people would have asked you, you know, uh, all this yeah. time? You
1: well, know, I've been blessed to work with so many great, intelligent people over the course of the last two decades. Um, and primarily my career has been comprised of building product and distribution strategy um, and then nurturing you know, that strategy with a you know, culture and uh, you know, acquiring talent to execute against it. Um, so a lot of times when I meet with new founders, young founders, um, even VCs, they jump right into their passion project, right into the technology and the product and the build and you know, the market uh, uh, appreciation for that, that vision. And often I have to stop them and basically just, you know, I'm an extrovert. So around that kind of personality wheel, I really need 10 minutes just to get to know people share a little story about, or a little joke or story about what happened on the weekend, just who I am. So I would really like appreciate if more people just got to get to know the intangibles of the person they're speaking to. So their background, um, where they grew up, what really drives their passion, why the hell do they want to be an entrepreneur? Like how, how, what intangibles do they have to meet those tart sharp corners in the road? And um, cause it is the cliches are true. Those er- the early stages and the early journey uh, can be tumultuous and you've got to be, um, you know, surround yourself with all of the prudent planning to afford to diversify and formally kind of be structured around those early days and um, so I, I think it's uh, important that they stop and think about, okay, we're two people large We have this really amazing idea with this. We, we think that we have um, pretty differentiated technology or software, but how mm-hmm. the hell am I going to acquire the first 10 people that are going to make it come to life? That's really yeah. difficult, right? So, um, and you know, it's easy to throw bodies anywhere, but it's uh, how do you acquire top talent? So people, people, people.
0: And like, you know, being an entrepreneur is, you know, very difficult at times I can relate, right. It's uh, it's not a path or an adventure for everybody. Um, just on that note, what is like the one piece of feedback you would give to people embarking for the first time on their entrepreneurial path?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, early days when, so we, so we're very fortunate that our leadership team had a lot of learning um, seasoned veterans Mm -hmm. and you know i look at our head of technology that was you know our first three people in that coffee shop um, formulating the blueprint of what box was going to become in 2016. Um, we've learned a a lot but what I i would tell and i share with your audience that they have to basically be really um cognizant to surrounding themselves with like-minded people that are going to really um, embolden that passion or drive or that purpose, the mission for what their company is going to become. And it's got to be mm-hmm. mentally all in. Uh, so the early days, your closest confidants, your, your family, your spouse, your partner, yeah. uh, you know, small mentors or uh, advisory board of mentors, really important because you need the strength of that community to help shape your vision and keep you staying the course
0: Mm all right cool thanks mark um so we kind of touched upon it but in your previous life or in your previous kind of um uh past experience you went through the process of working at a company where you raised funding and then you went through an ipo i'm really curious to to get your insight on like what you learned during that process in terms of like as a going through an ipo and having a previous payout via an ipo in terms of how to spend VC money post-race?
1: Yeah, so yeah, we're obviously very blessed to be on a journey from let's say I joined you know, my, you know, our three leaders, I think uh, you know, when Josh here, head of technology was employee number eight, um, mm-hmm. I joined when the company was less than 100 people and I, I, and I was partly reporting to the board of a company that basically series B to an IPO, maybe the one of the most prolific FinTech companies that was born and raised out of Toronto, Canada. So you learn a lot in that and you're very enlightened to um, how the journey works and basically the the prudent planning and very tactical approach to um, obviously raising onward and uh, upstream capital raises, but more importantly, how to utilize that capital uh, to get you to that next milestone in your journey. Um, And it it depends on where you are in the life cycle of your journey. So, Mm -hmm. you know, to answer your question, early stages, it's um, you're obviously you're testing and you're iterating an MVP, right? And, and you have to be you know, intrinsically looked within your, your, your business model and the team that are basically the, you know, the founding team of three or four people that are focused on that early stage MVP. And you have to be, in, in our case, we were self-funding that initiative, right? Mm-hmm. And we did our first ideation raise of a million dollars, which is peanuts, that's not a lot of money. So we were ruthlessly focused on our differentiation on the backend data science and underwriting platform, the technology. So we were not using that money to just basically go and acquire customers, right? Or, or you know, acquire bodies that would go and basically you know, test the thesis in the market. It's really, really important that you're setting yourself up for success for where you want, where you want to get to, where you want to become. And if it's the you're a technology company like we are, and you're focused on you know, owning and designing front, middle, and back-end um software, technology, data science, then you really have to deploy your capital even early on when you're you know you're testing your thesis with um you know you're building and you're using your, your capital really wisely early days by using off-the-shelf components. Because you're not gonna build this multi-million dollar machine without having it basically yeah. tested in the market, right? So, you know, we were seasoned veterans. So Malin, myself, and Krim, uh, the other leaders at that time, you're using off the shelf components. It looks sloppy and messy, your front end, and then you're, you marketing, um, you know, customer acquisition thesis, you're, you're experimenting and playing around with it, but you're focused on what you believe instinctively intuitively is the right thing to do to, to um, test your thesis within your local, Marketplace. We used Ontario. It's a great market as a petri dish to learn and experiment, and you afford yourself some time. So you're never using that early stage capital to win the praises of venture capitalists that are going to be there for your, your, you know, your prudent seed raise or your, or your Series A. If you're if you're blindsided towards that, then the underlying project and the work at hand will not be achieved. Um, at that same token, you've got to there's a fine balance because you do have to bring them along the journey and at least transparently create milestones so they can see that look at we are growing and we're reducing our CAC or whatever milestones they're looking for over time. And that um, you know, the, the capital that's being deployed is being done at a very prudent cash management burn level. And you have to really show transparently that those metrics and those financials whilst you're acquiring talent.
0: Mm-hmm. And um, from your prior experience before Fox quilt to now, what is like the main thing that you learned and that you applied in terms of your relationships with those investors getting, you know, that first round or that follow up round uh, mm-hmm. with Fox quilt in your new venture?
1: Well, so, so we learned, so, we don't wait for anything at Foxwell. We always, we have a very, very, everything we do has a very prudent, formal structure and plan. Even when we were three people large, now we're 30. And so when you're three people, five people, 10 people large, it still has to follow the same formal um, structure and planning, prudent plan. And, and that goes with raising capital too and you know, creating all these different, you know, building that infrastructure and the other yeah. capabilities to make your vision come to life. We left our borders very early uh, at a very young age because we needed to diversify our interests, who were going to be the change agents and champions to align to our vision and our purpose. So our largest two relationships, ironically, are internationals out of London, England and Munich, Germany. And they've given us all the different underwriting and data and actuarial capabilities to, to transcend into essentially a modern carrier. Well, the same goes with venture capital. So early days, there's this misconception that companies need to go out and basically you know, showcase to a hundred different venture capital firms, right? And in Canada, it's a very intelligent, small um, community and fraternity of venture capital community and, and then great yeah. people and a lot of wisdom and they're there and they're, they're going to, they've helped um, grow our economy and they will continue to do that, but it's small. So they're inundated with you know, thousands of companies in their pipeline, right? And they're, They don't, and they're across different realms and industries, and so they can, a lot of the time, they only have time to learn basically at the surface level. And only you know your underlying niche um, better than anybody. So early days, it doesn't have to be, um, you know, championed by venture capitalists. You have to diversify lots of different interests inside our border, and that could be um, very, prolific angels, can be from small um, family, uh, private equity firms. Um, it can be from other, uh, founders that had strong exits. So lots of other technology founders, we have a very rich ecosystem of people that can sponsor that early, um, early uh, fundraising activity. But then you have to look outside our borders and make your world a lot smaller. So early days, my, my job was not focused around raising seed capital. Mm -hmm. If I can't get a million dollars or $3 million behind this team and the platform that we're building and some of the small successes b2c and b2b in our market if i can't do that then i'm failing my my vision is further ahead so when i'm raising my seed round i'm actually raising my series a and b and the work the legwork that's done over the last 12 months is actually closing a quick series a round in 60 days that's that's where and you know and can, and that's where we learned at the last um building that our last um, growth proposition towards an IPO is that you're always when you're raising series A that works already been done but it's the communication the dialogue and relationships during that basically roadshow that you're yeah. you're forging for our series B series C mm-hmm. so it, the uh, courtship always starts 24 months in advance and it never stops
0: so it's very much like a long-term relationship in terms of uh, communication in planning um, funding requests right uh, that you have with some of your investors that you want to work with mm-hmm. what is like one great uh, tactic that you've I used mean, you're,
1: you're to stop pause you there for a second the word plan yeah. continues in everything that we do right so even raising capital is no different than your sales plan, your technology plan, your ops plan, and you have to use formal software to basically program manage it. Right? So it's like you know, we look at everything as managed in Scrum environment and you're using all those different you know communication tools to basically coordinate it whether it's a sauna or Slack or Jira or whatever it is. Same goes with venture capital. So mm-hmm. venture capital is not just something on a napkin where you basically have this kind of this you know, sales plan on a piece of paper, and you're meeting with like 30 or 50 different groups. It's an like actual real pipeline and tactical calendarized management with follow ups that are basically um, that you're using other tools and software to help you na- navigate that plan. So you're executing a plan.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then you're nurturing those relationships over time. So that when you're, you know, when your team and you're, 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 you're basically saying, okay, the infrastructure is a place we're growing leaps and bounds, we can really um, inject capital and fuel to, to grow and, and scale the offering, acquire new customers, enter new markets, innovate new product or design in our backend. When that decision's made,
0: the work's already been done. All right. Okay, okay. Um, also, I wanted to surface something which I thought was interesting when we had a chance to speak last time was uh, you, you mentioned before that, you know, the first money that you get, or like in, in your case, I think with Foxpool, you guys raised 1 million initially, uh, it has to be used very, very wisely, very strategically. And like with some of the investors that you, you get that money with, I mean, or, you know, going to market, you can fool the market through some traction, through some metrics uh, to demonstrate success. But you said that that's not the right way to do it. And so I want to just learn more in terms of what should CEOs not spend their money? uh, doing on a post-raise if they want to become like a, you know, successful company.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, our original mission, we were very interested in scaling and growing the company, being a Canadian, yeah, uh, you know, raising a, and founding a company here in Toronto, Canada, but we're very mm-hmm. interested in becoming a global leader in our own domain. You know, we want to okay. be a million dollar insurance technology company with a very dynamic, First, you know, first ever back-end underwriting platform that's ingesting data and, you know, um, allowing affording for it to feed lots of different algorithms across the different pipes to service our customer journey, actual mm-hmm. science, product, all that stuff that are going to empower small businesses. So we have, you know, big mission even from day one. But when you're raising a million dollars, you can't just basically put it all into the back-end platform. That wouldn't go very far. So you got to be really smart about what you're trying to to achieve, and so Melinda, our head of technology, and our our my other co-founder, the, the actuary they're meticulously designing and engineering the architecture and the blueprint, and designing basically those proprietary insurance products that we're going to make come to life. And we're building that Tesla for the insurance industry that we're we know that we're bringing to life over the next three years. Right? Mm-hmm. The first million dollars, we have to be really frugal and prudent about first iteration. We're using it to basically build, you know, buy off the shelf components so that we can test our, our MVP in a Mm -hmm. local market that we can design and basically digitally tag that whole customer journey and build our own front end on nickels and dimes essentially so that we can test and iterate and then give us lots of time. um, because usually early days you're, you're starting with Canadian money. And right. they have to be much more patient with Canadians. It's a conservative culture. Uh, even if it's angels or, you know, family, family and friends. And, um, in our case, we're lucky that we, uh, we had some past relationships. So it was venture capital, and private equity, and you're investing in the people essentially, and the idea. So you're bringing that idea to shape. It still takes 24 months and you have to have show some measured success, success in the scorecard that the right things are happening and that you can showcase that your leadership team is the right team to grow the business model into a eventually a billion dollar company. Um, you know, we, we pride ourselves in the sense that our team doesn't wait for anything. So as much as you got to be patient for other Canadians to basically galvanize their interest towards the, the team and the business model, we're not here to be consultants and enlighten the venture capital community to what's going on in the insurance value chain. Mm -hmm. And that's not our job. If you're not doing your homework and digging really deep underneath and you're not sitting down with us having a coffee and talking about, you know, how are you going to basically make greater underwriting profitability on the underwriting core business using technology, data science, et cetera, and having the customer, in front of the entire proposition with eased access to insurance capacity at a better buying, um, mm-hmm. buying power. If those right conversations aren't being had, then you gotta go find those different stakeholders, whether they're in Greece, whether they're in Switzerland, whether in the United States that are basically aligned to that purpose. And just keep moving your feet until you find those right stakeholders. And if they're not here, in Canada, then so be it.
0: And just just to confirm, Mark, um, the first million that you raised for Fox Quilt, it was uh, the investors that got behind the idea were more in it for a the vision and b the team, right? Not so much about what's been what was built yet. And then when you pitch them on like what to do, they were okay with you putting together like an off-the-shelf solution initially at like a lower say cost of build initially, uh, mm-hmm. just to demonstrate the success of it and like the viability of it before then moving forward with like larger scale spending. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, there's a, a myriad of different variables here. One in our, we're, we're, we're blessed. And then some somewhat unfortunate that we're up against a very regulated high barrier to enter market, which is a mm-hmm. great thing. And Canada is even the best, you know, it's a, it's a dynamic marketplace. Cause you don't have to speak for itself. It's, it's a you know, top, 10th largest GDP in the world. It's a great market. It's diverse to experiment within, really test your thesis. But early days, um, we were seasoned veterans, Krim, myself, and Malin. Um, Malin's built five platforms in his career. Um, most recent platform they spent eight, his team built for eight years is a multi-billion dollar valued company that services tier one banks just from a security compliance. Trust what he's That's doing, right? So trust like what he's doing. Trust criminal, we've been around uh, before FinTech was we using Coin FinTech building these uh, good customer propositions. So um, there is a sense of trust in that experience, but we outlay the blueprint and the architecture that's adjoining that blueprint and that you know that customer journey and the thesis around product, where we see the market going and where we see the customer um, basically asking and demanding for a richer experience with a better value proposition, value offering at hand. So when we 2016 or 17, when we raised that million bucks, we're, we're talking to the longer vision of what we really want to build within the technology and the architecture, and the platform, how we're getting there to a hundred million dollar company in four years. Mm-hmm. And just like today in 2020 and running out this quarter, We're now basically launching that full service infrastructure now as a modern carrier. We have our own commercial paper. We have basically we can bind issue online. We're launching in the US. We are now basically valued exactly what we said we would be um, four years ago. Now we don't talk about that. We talk about how do we build, not the Tesla for the industry, how do we build the flying car? So all that architecture and the data lakes that we're using to basically feed our algorithms to service the customer's interests now we're talking about how do we learn from the data and how does the machine get smarter and passing these benefits off to the customer? So the venture capitalists we meet today, and most of them are internationally, we talk about the flying car. How are we getting the machine to be the, the most dynamic, full-stack, underwriting trading platform that can distribute to a myriad of different distribution channels, but it can also embolden enterprises that can innovate insurance institutions that you've never even thought of before by one labeling our platform and our full um, services and capacity. So we're always looking five years five years that's, out, the leadership team in early days when you're raising the million bucks. Yeah, they're investing in the people and the idea and they, they know that we're doing it smart, that we're not blowing their money on building the full stack right up front because you can't do, it. it's, that would, that's cost millions of dollars. You have to build, um, your test platform, if you want to call it that, on just nuts and bolts off the shelf while you, you know spend and you, you chip away at the secret sauce. So it's 90% off the shelf, 10% secret sauce, and then you get to the 100% secret sauce.
0: And just out of curiosity, Mark, um, I'm sure the investors are okay with the idea of um, refactoring the code or basically like, okay, we're doing this initially, but then we're probably gonna like throw out the whole thing and then start with like a proper build. Have you seen different kind of perspectives of plus like pass out here from an investment standpoint in terms of like being okay with that or like if, the, if they're, you know, have any reservations about that approach?
1: No, I mean, if they truly understand how, you know, um, in our last company, we would change out code frequently, right? Um, especially as you raise, you know, um larger rounds of capital that you can invest Mm -hmm. into the code and the back end and unplug some of these um um, vendors that are servicing your interests so that you can have more of that control and autonomy on building and designing everything in-house you're more nimble to service your customers interests or your different um innovative distribution uh, arms that you haven't even thought about Mm -hmm. so um, it's no different within fox quilt we pride ourselves in the sense that all of our IP and design now is hosted and harvested inside the organization. We don't have a, you know, we, we don't rely on a single outside vendor. That takes time and then an intellectual capital to know and know-how. And then the trust with your board of directors, advisory board, and your investors is that we know that the code becomes pretty seasoned after a few years. But it's important that our original you know, first or second scrum teams that are actually baking that code it's it's and and this is a good pause here for a second as well in this new virtual world think about it we have this hybrid where basically these you know developers data scientists architects product manager in our scrum team working virtually right and they're building or they're writing this book this novel that hasn't been written before and there are five different writing styles but you have to make it congruent so that it looks like it's from one author it's very difficult right so that takes. Um, a lot of experienced leadership team from your head architect, your head product manager, your CTO, when they're, you know, they're insecure about raising capital and they want to show, and they're really proud because they're, they're innovators and they're inventors and they're uh, of their own discipline. We don't, we show basically top, uh, very surface level schematics to venture capital. And we learned from our last technology company, we do not leave anything behind. Um, especially in Canada, especially in Canada or anywhere else, you know, the U S they could basically go fund a hundred million dollars on an idea overnight. So please do not share any of your IP or your very detailed schematics, share your, 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 surface level schematics of what you're building front, middle, back end, uh, but never share the deep dive in the architecture. Um, That's, you know, that's your baby don't share it with, with anybody. Um, And we haven't. Surprise IP even through our first couple rounds here in Canada, um, you know, we, those raises were done very quickly. Um, you know, over the course of really uh, the last one was done in 30 days. So Mm -hmm. the, that's quick. Yeah. But again, it's back to the 12 months of relationships. People think you're going on a a formal roadshow, but it's not a lot of money. It's 3 million, it's $3 million behind a pretty experienced team that, know their own jurisdiction better than anybody else so um you can't you can't wait right so you
0: no i totally understand um just one or two more questions for you mark um what what should i mean with your experience i mean what should tech ceos uh stop doing with their capital post-raise one or two pieces of advice
1: um, well, a common mistake, they basically get, you know, their, their, their treasury becomes basically, you know, full, and they go solve problems by creating solutions with bodies. So they throw bodies at problems without a really calculated formal resource plan, right? Well, that's a huge mistake that we see quite often. So it's a, uh, waste of spend by just acquiring bodies so that they have, a, um, too many scrum teams, you got to stay very nimble and you got to be frugal. So even today we we're well, like we're, we're, we're actually having, it's a very fun dress locker room, dress room because we're winning. So, um, you know, we're acquiring market share and we're growing and at less marketing expenditure than the year prior. So all of the things are going in the right direction for us. And we could be spending lots more to basically acquire customers. Um, and acquiring more, more bias but we're very, we stay the course with very calculated position, precision on the talent that we're acquiring. And it's very, I, I would never get hired from in Malin's uh, tech team, the, the, the course, the course to get into is tech teams are, uh, it's very difficult. So um, we don't rush to basically acquire talent. We, we basically measure 10 times cut once. So, uh, and then we solve our own problems Within our um, kind of our own internal means, and we follow different methodologies to basically solve problems. So we never say, "I don't know how to figure, it. can't figure it out." Let's go find someone to figure it out. Wrong idea. Mm-hmm. And then I I think that you can't be fooled by um, by basically acquiring customers through marketing dollars. And it's always a common misconception. All oh, like I, we, most, most technology founders are technologists and they're focused on what they do best. And that's building and coding and developing and you know, working within those scrum teams, but they have no experience in sales or, um, you know, that, you know, sales discipline and prudent management of acquiring customers. So they go purchase those capabilities or they go throw marketing dollars into the, uh, know, into the air to see if they basically come, come back and <laughs> into fruition, but that doesn't showcase anything because it's more important to build the micro uh, that model airplane right here in the GTA and figure out test, learn and iterate when the machine is basically that model airplane is resonating in that local marketplace. And you see it working on a smaller scale at less money it's all at scale. It doesn't matter if you're talking about, it's just numbers, $10 doesn't have to be high numbers, right? So it's mm-hmm. hundred customers, 500. When you do it at scale and it's all calculated at scale, that's more meaningful and it doesn't cost a lot of money to, to learn that. And as soon as you give yourself, afford yourself some time, 12 months, 18 months, you should be able to figure it out on scale to showcase those metrics to a venture capitalist that is, or like I said, doesn't have to be venture capital it Can be basically anyone that's, um, has, um, enough ingenuity to, to figure out, unlock what you discovered and to believe in it and have enough confidence to invest their money in your, your mission.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Mark, uh, so much great insight. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, we're, we're at time now, Mark. So thank you so much. Um, we're really excited to share this with the rest of the audience and, uh, Thank you to everybody who's going to be listening to this uh so this was another uh episode of off the record it's um, as i mentioned before it's a new series a podcast with the goal to build a community of founders and vcs around it so that they can make their businesses better so thanks again and i'll see you next time on at the next episode thanks so much